You're listening to Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And the new releases on this week's show take us to Brazil, the Channel Islands and in the lost city of Zed, the Amazon Basin. The so-called savages have cultivated the jungle where no one thought it could be done. We've been so arrogant and contemptuous. I know less than others. Look how it's all laid out. It's mathematical in its precision. Well, that's what you've been saying. Imagine what Zed must be like. And one of the stars of the film, Sienna Miller, takes up the hot seat for the big interview. On DVD, David Oyelowo and Rosamund Pike take on the British government in a United Kingdom. I have fears, Ruth. Not just about this, but my uncle. You can't take us all this way to tell me you have fears. Not for me, for you. For everything I am asking you to sacrifice. Can you even imagine a life in Africa? Yes. We'll take it moment by moment, won't we? Together. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and maybe a new number one and the latest movie news headlines, all in the next 20 minutes. So straight on to this week's new releases and first up, it's The Lost City of Zed, which is nothing like the gung-ho adventure saga that it sounds. Before I explain more, it's this week's big interview. Kerry McNally is asking the questions this week and Sienna Miller is answering them. Firstly, about how much she actually knew of the original story before she made the film. I'd never heard about Percy before. I'd met James Gray, the director, about seven years ago for this project and then had read the book before I read the script. So I became kind of intrigued. And if you look online and research him, there are so many theories about what actually happened. There's a huge community of people that are really obsessed with the mystery around the story. But I didn't, I didn't know an awful lot before. And your character Nina tries to step outside the boundaries of early 20th century women. At one point, she even argues about equality. How much did you enjoy bringing that strength to a period when it was so rare? You know, it was really who she was, and I, I more than anything wanted to express her frustration and to make women nowadays watch something and feel how that must have felt, you know, really empathise with women. I think it's a huge conversation that we seem to be having a lot these days, and I'm really proud of that. But it's the women like her who were the suffragettes were really the, in, the instigators of change, and not only was she raising children and sacrificing her entire life for her husband, but you know, a suffragette, and I just loved her. I really enjoyed her complaining about wearing a corset and just wishing <laughs> she could wear trousers. Yes. Um, what were the joys and difficulties of wearing those exquisite period costumes? Well, they're beautiful. So in theory, it's gorgeous, and the dressing-up aspect is really fun for the first hour of the day, but having your waist pulled in to nothing. I mean, it's, it's so uncomfortable, and because we were being authentic to the period, I wore an authentic corset, which is a whale-boned... It's really brutal. At the end of the day, you take it off, and you've just got deep, dark red grooves. It's, you can't complain because I get to go home and get my tracksuit, but these women did really suffer. And Charlie Hunnam is impressive as the resilient yeah. Percy. What were the particular pleasures of working with him? I think the most impressive thing, aside from the fact that he's a lovely man, was his commitment to this. He knew absolutely everything. He'd read everything. He stayed in character. He starved himself. 
I don't think he could have given it any more. And to be around that level of commitment, it's just inspiring. I was particularly struck by how difficult it was for Nina to keep in touch with her husband when he's away for such long periods of time. How do you think you'd fare being away from loved ones without the technology that we have now? It's really hard to imagine, and obviously I tried to when I was making this film. I feel personally like we have too much communication now, and I do long for the idea of like sitting down and writing a letter and the thought that went into that versus just shooting off a text. So, I, I mean, maybe a happy medium. I think it must have been really difficult to not know whether he was alive for months on end, and getting letters into the jungle was obviously almost impossible, so she really just had to hold on to her faith and her hope, and that's what I think kept her going her whole life. Director James Gray said that this film became something of an obsession for him. What are the benefits of working with someone who both writes and directs? I think a writer-director is somebody who's incredibly familiar with the material. He was also very open to changes and being a writer could write them eloquently. And it's, it's, I guess the more knowledge, the more research, the more time you sat with something, the better you're going to be. And so he was an expert on this book. And finally, Sienna, if you could explore any part of the world that you could choose... Where would you choose and why? I quite like to go to kind of Borneo and around there or maybe the South Pacific cause. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to see the whole world, so it's really hard to pick something out. The Salt Plains of Bolivia, the Inca Trail, Easter Island. Like, I've got bucket list places, but I, um, I want to see everywhere. And the film's released Friday, Certificate 15. Now, as you will have gathered from that, it's set at the turn of the 20th century and is based on the true story of Percy Fawcett, a soldier-come-explorer who goes to the Amazon Basin, where he believes he finds evidence of a civilization from hundreds of years ago. Although when he gets back... It's kind of hard to sell the idea to the Geographical Society. And I quote, We came upon the ruins of an ancient city, bedecked with gold, roads, temples, ancient symbols. What, El Dorado? No, gentlemen! No! I call it Zed, the ultimate piece of the human puzzle. It is there! And we must find it! Charlie Hunnam there as Fawcett, and in fact he did make two more expeditions to the area. The first had to be aborted, while the final one, both he and his teenage son disappeared and were never heard of again. It is an epic story, one about belief turning into obsession, about fathers and sons, about empires and the environment. Compared to the members of the Geographical Society, Fawcett is enlightened for his day when it comes to the Amazonians. He sees himself and his men as explorers, trying to preserve culture and history, not conquerors who want to destroy it. But he's not so enlightened when it comes to his wife Nina. She's intelligent and confident, but she has to toe the line and support his expeditions, even though it frustrates her deeply. The director, James Gray, relates his epic with clarity and intelligence, so we get a film that's absorbing and thought-provoking and fascinating. But a simple adventure yarn it most certainly is not, and nor should it be, with its powerful narrative and characters and uniformly strong performances. It's reminiscent of the films of David Lean, Lawrence of Arabia in particular. There is a real sense of a classic in the making here.
The Lost City of Zed looks and feels like a film that could have been made back in the 70s. That's not to say it's out of place now. On the contrary, if anything, it's a reminder that it is still possible to make films like these. Beautifully crafted, wise and completely immersive. From the Amazon Basin to the Channel Islands during World War II. In another mother's son. Take a seat. Didn't you give a rich Didn't you guess to teach you any Russian? Who knew about him? No one knew. And the radio? It was hidden. Mrs. Gold. We know people visited you regularly to listen to the BBC. Your brother. Your friend, Miss Fournier, the owner of the property. No, no. Elena never came into the house. She knows nothing. Jenny Seagrove under interrogation in Another Mother's Son, released Friday Certificate 12A, just in time for Mother's Day on Sunday. The Channel Islands was the closest that the Nazis got to invading the British mainland, and they set up POW labour camps on islands like Jersey. Louisa, a shopkeeper in a small village, finds herself talked into sheltering an escaped Russian prisoner of war, and despite the danger to her and her family, manages to keep it secret for some time. But there are people who are all too willing to tip off the Germans about illegal activities, and eventually there's an ominous knock at the door. This is actually based on a little-known true story, a really heroic one that could have made an inspirational emotional drama. The sad thing is that it's anything but. Jenny Seagrove at the top of the cast list and theatrical impresario Bill Kenwright behind the production were enough to jangle some very loud warning bells for me. On this evidence, he should not give up the day job. It takes a remarkable skill to reduce what should have been a gripping story to a pile of mush. But that is what has happened. The narrative doesn't work especially well and there's a real oddity in the cast. Ronan Keating. Yes, that Ronan Keating. He plays Seagrove's brother. And why he was given the part, I really don't know. This is his first straight role on the big screen, and frankly, he is no actor. Yet he has to play somebody who, towards the end, suffers the horrors of a concentration camp. The film does make an attempt at a moral dilemma, what would you do in their shoes, that sort of thing. But like everything else, it's reduced to the banal and cliched. Watching the supporting cast, Joanna David, Gwen Watford, Nicholas Farrell, Susan Hampshire, it looks more like it's set in those fictional midsummer villages. The only difference is that there's no sign of Barnaby. In the words of the song, oh, 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 what a tepid war. This is Talking Pictures. The final new release this week takes us back to South America again, this time to Brazil, and the film is Aquarius. It's in Portuguese, so there's no clip, and it's released Friday, Certificate 15, with Sonia Braga as Clara, a retired music critic who lives alone in her apartment. It's a home full of memories, so when a property company wants to buy it to redevelop the block, she is not budging, and she turns out to be a formidable enemy. But don't make the mistake of thinking this is another of those films aimed at the grey market, because it's not. In fact, although it gives us an intimate portrait of an older woman, that isn't the movie's number one purpose, because this is a film all about memories and how objects become infused with significance and value, like the chest in the flat which belonged to her aunt, but is still there long after her death, almost as if it represents her. 
And there's Clara's own collection of vinyl. She likes all kinds of media, including today's technology, but her records are full of tangible memories that you just can't get from an MP3. It's the part of a lifetime for Sonia Braga, and she gives the performance of a lifetime to match. Her character's complexity, stubbornness and spirit all come together to make a fascinating woman, one whose relationships are never easy and who never holds back. Regardless of your age, Aquarius is a deeply satisfying film. It's an understated but completely absorbing experience, one that makes memories in its own right. You're listening to Talking Pictures. We should not be fighting for segregation. We should be fighting for equality. That is where we should be focusing our minds, not on the wife I have chosen, who means you no harm, whose only apparent crime has been to fall in love with me and mine to fall in love with her. On to this week's DVDs, and that was David Oyelowo as Soretsi Karma, the king-in-waiting of Land, addressing his people in a united kingdom, which is based on the true story of his marriage to the English office worker Ruth Williams. This was all despite the opposition of her family and the British government. Once they returned to his home country, they found themselves in the midst of a fight, not only to have their marriage accepted by his people, but to make sure that he succeeded to the throne and that his country became independent. And the film is a delicate balancing act. It would have been all too easy to concentrate on Karma's battle with the British government and the prejudice that he faced in this country when he and Ruth decided to get married. But the attitudes of his people to the prospect of having a white queen are just as important and they're given just as much screen time. The subject is treated with skill and sensitivity and it's helped hugely by committed performances from both David Oyelowo and Rosamund Pike. You're on their side from the moment you meet them and from the moment that they meet each other. It's a story that not only deserves to be told but needs to be told to a whole new generation who've probably never heard it before. The next DVD was a contender during this year's award season but sadly didn't win a great deal. It's a rival. What kind of radiation exposure are we walking into? Nominal. These are just for safety. So is there any physical contact with him? Am I the only one having trouble saying uh, aliens? There's a wall, like a glass wall. You can't get to them. So what do they look like? You'll see soon enough. Hurry up. This comes from director Denis Villeneuve and is most certainly not your average sci-fi movie. Amy Adams, who we heard towards the end of the clip, is a linguistics professor who's recruited by the army to help with a global emergency. Alien craft have landed in 12 locations around the world and large-scale panic has broken out. Looting, rioting, states of emergency, the works. Nobody can communicate with the occupants of the ships, so their reasons for being here are a complete mystery. So the military, and just about everybody else, think they're a threat. Now that's the main narrative. Underneath is a stronger human element. All you need to know about that is that Adams has her own personal story and you'll never see the ending coming. What Villeneuve has done with the film is to take sci-fi into a whole new territory, setting it firmly in the present but stripping it completely of any glamour. Calling Arrival a sci-fi is simplistic and does the film a disservice. It's closer to a thriller, a race against time to discover why the aliens have rocked up. 
But what leaves such an impression is the film's intelligence, intellectual and emotional. It's superbly made. It easily stands a second watch. And very simply, Villeneuve has just done it again. Singe, probably nothing, but I think I found a lump. Mommy might be taking medicine like this soon. Why? Because I had a lump, darling, just like you had a lump. There's a couple of other DVDs out this week. First of all, there's Mum's List, about the list that Amelia Fox leaves for Rafe Spall when she dies from cancer. It gives him a plan that will help him be a good father to their sons and keep her memory alive. Tissues at the ready for this one, because it is a cinematic memory box, which takes us back to their courtship as well as her illness and how the husband copes once she's gone. It's a heartbreaking performance from Rafe Spall. It also captures the bleak humour that often goes with terminal illness. Finally, there's The Fits, a low-budget film about a young tomboy who becomes fascinated by the dance troupe that trains at the community gym. She manages to earn a place, but then one of the instructors collapses with what looks like some kind of fit. The same happens to another and then some of the dancers themselves, and nobody knows why. The idea is rather similar to The Falling last year, but the setting far less affluent. And it's a film that demands a huge amount of its leading actress, the wonderfully named Royalty Hightower, and she is more than up to the job. It's one of those films that poses more questions than it answers, but its efforts to find the answers are captivating. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. And that's this week's lineup with more than one contender for film of the week. But it goes to the lost city of Zed because anything that comes this close to a David Lean film in my book is a winner. I'm expecting it to make it into the box office charts next week, but it does face some mighty competition. You might even call it beastly. Let's see just how big it is in the new top five at the British box office. So there's two new entries in the top five this week, and that includes a new number one. No surprise there then. Bouncing back into the top five comes the Lego Batman movie, which returns in fifth place. And clawing his way back in at number four is Logan, while the first new entry is in at number three, and that is Get Out. At number two, well, Kong Skull Island was only allowed one week at the top of the charts because this week it's been overtaken by the other new entry. And that, of course, is Beauty and the Beast. What are you? I am Lumiere. And you can talk? Well, of course he can talk. It's all he ever does. It didn't so much waltz over the competition as trample on it, taking just under £20 million in its first three days. In this week's movie news headlines, the live-action version of Disney's Mulan, which is due out next year, is unlikely to have any songs in it, and the fans are already objecting. Netflix is helping to restore and complete Orson Welles' last film, and that's The Other Side of the Wind, and Robert Downey Jr. has signed on the dotted line to appear in The Voyage of Dr. Doolittle, based on the classic character who talks to the animals. And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. On next week's show, it's all guns blazing in Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. He says it's not what he ordered. They ordered M16s, 
Really? I'm not running a pizza delivery service. While on DVD, it's one of my favourite films of 2016, Adam Driver in Patterson. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines. So I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures at the same time next week. Until then, enjoy the movies! Enjoy the movies!